Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Podcast. To find out more about the Worklife Hub and to listen to other episodes, please go to www.worklifehub.com. Welcome to another episode of the Worklife Hub Podcast. I am your host, Agnes Uheretsky. If this is the first time that you are tuning in, let me just say a few words about this podcast. We speak to authors, researchers, business thought leaders, for them to share their knowledge and insight on work-life balance, leadership, culture change and organizational development. In our work at the Worklife Hub, we help companies reform their workplace to create a culture that embraces diversity and work-life balance. We are passionate about building vibrant and engaging workplaces that are great for employees and customers. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do this via Twitter at WorkLifeHub, on our LinkedIn page or on our website. We're always happy to hear how you like the podcast or any other ideas that you would like to share with us. And now, on with the show. Welcome to our listeners of the WorkLife podcast. Um, this is your host, Agnes, and today I'm joined from St. Louis by Dave Gray. Hello, Dave. Hello, Agnes. So Dave is the founder of Explain. He's a leader and manager with a background in design, and his area of focus is the human side of change and innovation. So how to get people to adopt new ideas and how to win the hearts and minds of the people who are involved in change. He's also the author of a number of books, one on game storming, a playbook for innovators, rule breakers and change makers, then The Connected Company and Selling to the VP of No. We're absolutely thrilled to have you, Dave, on our podcast. Now, uh, to get us going, would you mind taking us through a little bit your journey of of how you got here, I know you have a background in design, but but how did you become an expert on change and culture? And- I studied design in, in school, and one of the things that I became very interested in is information design, because uh, as you work with more complex kinds of information, it's actually a kind of a design problem to think about how you best could make sense of it and communicate it. So I... Uh, and I worked as a journalist doing information graphics, what uh, people sometimes call infographics for many years, about uh, 10 years or so. And uh, I discovered in the course of doing that that there is a tremendous amount of, of uh, power in visualizing information because people are uh, generally understand things visually much more quickly and intuitively and at a more uh, at a deeper level than they understand uh, just by reading words and one of the reasons for that is that words are sequential words uh, you know you and if you imagine some things being better to communicate with pictures than with words but especially when you get into to things like systems and processes and organizational structure there's enough complexity that it's kind of hard to hold those things in your head that's why you people make org charts and process diagrams and that kind of thing to uh, keep those kinds of things in their head. And so in the early 90s it became somewhat evident that newspapers were uh, not growing. There there wasn't a growth industry there and I felt that the information design skills that I had learned as a journalist could be very helpful in business. 
so I started a business doing this and the initial remit of the business was that uh, we would help people uh, make sense of complex systems and communicate those things by helping them with information design and what what happens is uh, what happened to us is as we got more involved in communicating complex systems most of the time when people are communicating some kind of complexity it's because they have a desire to change it and uh, so what we found is that the process of drawing the picture was not something that you could just go in and interview 10 people and go off into a studio and draw a picture, but you had to actually get those people involved in the picture-making process to the, almost to the point where we went from being people who drew pictures of other people's problems to people who would facilitate groups in making sense of their problems with pictures. And that's the, that's the story of the evolution. We, it started by being a designer artist, but then it moved very quickly into helping people figure out what they needed to change and then helping them communicate how that was going to work. I think that really resonates with our journey and us as well, because, you know, initially focusing on uh, work-life balance policies and supports and work-life integration, we also quite quickly understood that we're up against something bigger there, and that's the habits, the management style, the work organizations, and also ultimately the culture of the organization that actually is the barrier or prohibits some of the policies that even leaders or, or uh, managers want to put in place. So maybe coming a little bit to, to organizational culture, um, where would you situate culture in terms of um, the, the resistance to change? I, I watched one of your keynotes on, on your website and, and there you explain how culture and change interact and interplay. Um, and, and I often think about this chicken or the egg so going into a business and, and wanting to, um, you know, exec, identify and execute change, how would one tackle the, the, the culture aspect of it? Well, I think, first of all, it's important to understand what uh, people mean when they talk about culture. Some people will say culture and they, uh, they really just mean everything that isn't written down, everything that we don't understand. Um, people will often blame when they have a problem with uh, change they'll blame the culture they'll say that people are resistant to change uh, but I think people are not necessarily resistant to change people like change uh, you know these same people you might you know see a manager pointing at uh, her team and saying you know this this team is resistant to change but at the same time you will see that probably everyone on the team is using smartphones where Five years ago, they or ten years ago, they were using uh, you know Nokia phones, uh, you know old school phones. You'll see them, uh, you know, you'll see all kinds of change. People, uh, people naturally change. I think the difference is that people don't like change when it comes from their boss or when someone's telling them that they have to change. I think that's mm -hmm. um, you know it's resistance to being ordered around which everybody has. I mean, everyone's resistant to being ordered mm -hmm. around. Nobody likes to be ordered around. Um, so I think that in, if you 
if the if the goal is to get people not just kind of grudgingly complying with change, but uh, energized and excited about it the same way they might get excited about a new phone, then the you the the uh, uh, the way that you approach change has to change, uh, meaning that you have to get people to participate in the change. You get them to uh, get excited about it, give them a role in designing the change. If, uh, you know, a lot of changes have to do with, you know, process improvement, uh, with uh, changes to incentive programs and so forth. And if you think about it, the people who are if you're whatever you're trying to do, let's say you're trying to improve a process. Well, nobody really wants to be part of a, a crappy process that doesn't work. That you know, so uh, if you go to people mm -hmm. and treat them like adults and say, you know what, um, this process isn't working, and you tell them why, and you don't come to them with the, already the solution figured out, but you go and say, let's let's work together to figure out what the problem is, and let's uh, or the problems are. And let's work together to to improve that and make a process that's going to work better for everybody, for us, for customers, and uh, you know, for the business as a whole. I think you know, generally, people will get excited about that, and that's where you see the uh, you know the transformational aspect of it. Uh, and you know, if you look at companies like um, Toyota, who was one of the pioneers in employee-driven uh, workplace improvement. Uh, there's still a lot of tremendously valuable lessons there that have not been learned by a lot of organizations, and there's there's a tremendous amount of successful stuff that has already been figured out, and plenty of people who have lots of experience that you can learn from. Um, but I think you know there's a tendency in a lot of organizations to um, uh, maybe try and. Uh, keep doing it the way that we've always done it and even though it hasn't worked and it's sort of like the definition of a crazy person you know so it's doing something that doesn't work so you do it again and again and again uh, in the hope or prayer that it's going to mm -hmm. work um, it really doesn't it's really not the best way to uh, to solve a problem if you've done something before and it hasn't worked the first thing that you want to ask yourself is how can we do this differently next time i i really really like your uh, your explanation there and 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 I think I, I totally agree that if um, the people have ownership co-ownership and ha are able to co-create the change or the transformation then they will be excited about it and 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 feel like yes that's something we want to do every organization has the next best thing that it's trying to become mm -hmm. so uh, and the seeds of that are already inside that organization. There, there may be people who look around. They may not have formal authority, but there are people who look around and say, this needs to change or this is not uh, working. Um, we need to improve this. Uh, this, we, this is not sustainable, etc." So I do believe that every organization has within it some set of people that are uh, trying to uh, enable that next step in the organization's evolution and some set of people who are trying to stop it from happening for whatever reason that they they have uh, fears and anxieties about it uh, they have uh, perhaps loss of control or loss of power that might be associated with it 
Uh, and I, I tend to think of organizations almost as if they're, they're living uh, beings in the same way that a flock of birds is kind of like it's a, a different kind of life form than an individual bird. Uh, organizations are the, just kind of the way that people uh, flock. And mm. uh, when you have uh, an organization that has, um, and in most organizations, the majority of people are in between. They're, 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 not, they're open to change, but they are, um, they're not you know, going to work every day saying things have to change. And they're not overly tied to the past, but they're not sitting there, you know, wanting to cling to the past. And so it's winning over that uh, that majority opinion that is the challenge of the people who want to uh, create that next step. And that's actually a very healthy dynamic. It's just like you know, you have the uh, angel on one shoulder and the devil on another. Not ch change is not always good. So you do want to have uh, people who are. Uh, respect the past and uh, the lessons that have been learned. Uh, you want to have people who are advocating for the future. And I think sometimes those people who are excited about the future are in some ways the worst enemy of change because if they're not respected by the people inside the organization, uh, it doesn't matter how loud they talk uh, or how much they talk, um, they're, they're not credible in terms of, you know, uh, uh, that change being real, or that change being meaningful, and it's easy. Like you, you bring in a new person, and they're the uh, they're the social media manager. Of course, they're going to want change. They're going to be excited about change. Uh, they live that, and they're not going to they're not necessarily going to feel the pain if they try and make change happen and it fails. Well, somebody who's been there for 20, 30 years has a lot more to lose. So, I believe that enabling those conversations is the best way to help that change dynamic unfold. And if you get, get enough people who are interested and you can convene them together and you can say, okay, uh, let's draw a picture together of uh, the system, the work, the business as a system, let's, the organization as a system, let's draw what we do. And uh, let's mm -hmm. find those, uh, especially if you have a problem, oh, well, our sales are down. That's a very good early indicator that a, that an organization is becoming less relevant. Uh, you know, our sales are down. How do you diagnose a problem like that? Or why are our sales down? It could be a num any number of things, right? It could be, well, we lost uh, we lost some good knowledge when a couple of the salespeople left. Or it could be that customers are signing, aren't interested in buying our product anymore. Or it could be that we. Uh, we haven't been evolving as fast as our competitors, or there's new uh, kind of companies emerging that solve the problem in a different way. It could be a, many, 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 many things, but having the question of that internal problem, something that was working in the past is not working today as well, and we, we see a trend, that's an indicator, and uh, that's a good starting point. You have a question about a problem. What is going on? And the the prob one of the issues that comes up is organizations see a problem like that and they say, "Oh, well, uh, problem is Salesforce incentives. We just need to uh, uh, change the sales commission structure." Or they say, "Well, the problem is just the um, the boss. We need a new the, the sales manager is not doing their job. We need a new one." 
uh, or they're, and they're not really trying to understand the problem. They, they quickly jump from uh, seeing that there's a problem to assuming that they have a solution for it. And that solution doesn't work. And then you say, okay, well, we just hired the wrong uh, sales leader. We need to get rid of this person and try another one. Or, you know, and you can, you can continue to have these knee-jerk uh, kind of reactions, uh, very mm -hmm. impulsive uh, solution making on part of the senior uh, leadership. And that is often based on real experiences that they've had in the past. They, they do feel like they understand things and they've solved these problems in that way in the past. But that's just because you've solved the problem in one way in the past doesn't mean that it's necessarily the best way to solve the problem today. And just because a problem looks similar to a problem in the past doesn't mean it's the same as the problem you had in the past. So um, I think uh, what's what we have, uh, what many organizations have lost is a deep understanding of how the actual business works, how the how the organization operates, and uh, drawing a picture of it again, I believe, is one of the most powerful ways to create that shared understanding of the organization as a system and what what it does every day. And that can be that's a really powerful. Uh, once you have a picture like that, then you can have the conversations about, well, what should we change or what sh can we try? Hmm. Yes, I and I, I totally agree with your, with your, with your what you just said about you know these quick fix solutions and and trying to put these kind of band aids, um, which is going to maybe give a temporary relief and get everybody excited about something, but not really a structural solutions if if they have bigger underlying problems and and we know from so much research that there's also really big leadership skills gap of you know in this highly complex world navigating these complexities and new information it's very difficult to know where to turn to and i guess also in organizational transformation there's a lot of offer of where and how you know, the plumbing could actually start. And, and I think that makes it even more difficult to decide which way to go. And I'm trying to steer now our conversation to your book and, and your work on game storming. So is that um, an approach that, that can help companies start these kind of discussions around identifying problems and, and starting on the path to change? Uh, yes, although um, it's not a uh, game storming is kind of like a recipe book. It's a mm -hmm. it's a good book to pick up if you already have a sense of how you know what you want to cook. Um, if you don't, if but if you've never cooked a meal before, uh, it's 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 not the kind of that kind of a recipe book. I mean, it's not going to give you one answer. It's going to give you a lot of different ways that you can organize a group of people around collaborative, co-creating uh, co activities. So it's a nice book for, um, uh, it's not just a, it's not a uh, sort of a single solution to this problem, but it's more like a cookbook. You need to have, you still need to have people who uh, kind of understand, uh, uh, have a goal and are trying to achieve it. So um, I'm, uh, it's a very popular book, 
um, and it's a good it's a good way to get started. Um, I think it's very much a practitioner book. It's not a strategic book, in other words. So if, what I'm talking about today with you is a little bit more strategic about uh, uh, mm -hmm. working together to understand the business as a system. Um, game storming is good for that plus uh, many, many other ways of getting groups working together. I mean, you could have something like just a group working together to decide how to make their office uh, a better place to come into every day, or you could you, mm -hmm. people could do it to design a new product or use game storming to design a new product or a service. It's just all game storming is is a um, uh, kind of a recipe book for improving any meeting and bringing more creativity uh, and a little bit more kind of uh, a collaborative spirit into any meeting for any purpose. I also wonder about, um, you know, you when you were speaking a little bit earlier about change and 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 new things you know people like new things um and also then about you know when you have the people who who want to you know stick to some of the old ways is how i find the challenge is how do you bring in the new without completely throwing out the old so do you see this in your work that it is possible to take organizations to the next stage um, with innovation, but yet maintain some of their values or some of the functions or some of the um, the, the functionalities that really worked. Um, can can companies do that successfully? In your experience? Yeah, I think you have to involve people who've been there for a, a long time to help you with the with the thinking. I think that uh, you know most organizations. You know, people are just coming in and doing their job every day. Uh, it's, it's not any, most people don't think of their job as uh, part of their job is trying to understand how everybody relates to everybody else and how that value is created for customers. Uh, they're just thinking about their job. Uh, the, if you want to create real change, uh, you know, authentic change, change that's going to last where people are going to, you know, uh, actually truly change their behavior um, and change the organization, you have to involve people in that. They have to be a part of it. You can't just tell them about it. You have to, uh, and you have to make time that's not for work. That you got to make time that's specifically for understanding how to work better together. And you've got to often you've got to, you know, make space for that. Bring people into a room, uh, create that space for that conversation and I believe that having that you know visualization piece that group visualization visual thinking is the best way to make those conversations very productive in a very short period of time you have uh, if you're gonna bring uh, 10 people into a room from different parts of the organization they're gonna wanna know why why are you why are you yeah. asking me to step out of my job today I have work to do why do you want me to come into a room and you know uh, play around on a wall with sticky notes. I got more important things to do. You got to you go. Yeah. You need to explain to them why it's important, and um, that you know you're focusing on. Uh, we we actually need to take some time and think about the future of the business, the future of our organization. Um, do you want to be a part of that? Um, mm. We need we need you to be a part of that. You, you the, what you're doing is really important. Um, 
but it might need to change. You know, just doing the same thing over and over is not necessarily going to help us. We have this problem over in sales. Well, I'm not in sales. Uh, yeah, but you, we, we need you to participate in it because uh, that sales problem is all of our problem. It's, it's a problem that we all share and we need to work on it together to fix it. What if the sales problem is related to us selling the wrong product and we actually need to change the product we sell? Well then, yeah, I guess that does affect me. Okay, maybe I better come. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 right? it's quite um, simple in the end, right? Sometimes we're trying to make things overly complicated, but going back to the basics and just explaining and being simple about things sometimes does the trick better than, than more complicated processes that are put in place. I do think it's common that people make things more complicated than they need to be. Um, I think it's very, very often those complications come about because people uh, have, uh, people are, generally speaking, people want to get along with each other. Hmm. And uh, that often creates an environment where people want to protect each other's feelings. And sometimes protecting other people's feelings gets in the way of uh, creating the right uh, operating system for work. Um, and what happens is somebody's, you know, for whatever reason is not, they don't, they don't have the right skills or they're not, they don't have the energy necessary or they don't have the abilities or the, the interest or, yeah, or the passion, passion yeah. to do their job. And yet everybody wants to get along, so we find ways to work around them. Oh, well, let's put this person over in a place where they can't really do any harm. And uh, by protecting each other's feelings, which is a very kind of nice thing to want to do, and you can, you can kind of do it in your family life, uh, you know, more easily when you have a crazy uncle or something. <laughs> but in, in work, uh, you know, in order to really resolve problems at work, you have to be able to recognize them and name them and, and uh, talk about them. And I also think that, you know, we, when we look at the way that most organizations have their incentive systems designed and that kind of thing, you know, they, a lot of times those incentive systems encourage people to uh, compete internally with other people instead of working together as a team. So uh, my, you know, I got to make my number. They encourage people to hide the truth and yeah. try and make the numbers look better. Or, you know, if, if my raise is going to be based on a number, I'm going to make that number look good, even if it's not the right thing for the company, even if I know it's not the right thing for the company. Um, yeah. So, you know, a lot of times the things that need to be reexamined are the things that are being rewarded and the things that are being measured, because those things often create politics and, and uh, division in the work environment when you, what you really want is people connecting and, and trying to do the best job that they can and also trying to understand. If I'm in sales and sales is down and um, I'm focused all my attention on trying to make it look better than it is, painting, you know, painting a lipstick on it and making it, trying to make this problem pretty, then that's time I'm not spending trying to solve the problem. Absolutely. And, sometimes it's better, if, especially in a leadership or management environment, you want to make it okay for the person to say, yeah, actually it is broken and I'm not sure why it's broken. Can we talk about it? Let's try and figure out how to make it better. Uh, I think we also have an expectation, well, you're the head of sales, you should have the answer. Well, yeah. you know, uh, and if I don't have the answer, maybe it means I'm a bad leader. Actually, I think more and more 
you know, we're at, we're entering into a world that is highly complex where there's a lot of um, moving parts. There's new software, new apps out there, the whole uh, social web. Uh, you know, customers are talking about stuff that they were never talking about before. Um, you're, there's all kinds of complexity to the work environment, technological and uh, social. And mm. we, uh, we can't expect managers to have all the answers. We have to have focus more on making sure that we're asking the right questions and that we're working together to resolve stuff and figure stuff out. And one of the biggest uh, and most dangerous culprits, I think, is the, uh, the way the incentives are designed and the way the organizations are structured because they are often set up to encourage and foster uh, internal politics and competition. That's actually where the culture map tool came from, is a way for organizations to say, you know, focus on what they want and uh, get the people who are actually going to do the work involved in creating the work environment, including incentives and, uh, you know, reward systems and how that stuff is set up. Because at the end of the day, um, those are the people that you're going to rely on to do the work. You, you want them to have had some input in designing how their, all the reward systems work. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and I totally, I couldn't agree more. And, and I think that um, so one of the previous guests on our podcast, she said, Linda Holbeach, she said that, you know, she would like CEOs to leave their big egos uh, in front of the door and just admit that they may not have all the answers. And that links a little bit back to, to what I said that, you know, because the culture, you know, you've worked so hard to be in that C office, you know, and in that C suite. So how could you just come out the door and say, hey, guys, I actually don't know what's, you know, what's the best way forward here. So we should just sit down and start again. So that's why I think we still have these norms, these workplace norms of of authority and wanting to look good in front of your your people. And, and so making out some kind of complex systems to mask to mask some of maybe the problems or or to to make it look as if as if something's being done about it but not not at the root cause yeah exactly i mean i can give you all kinds of examples of that i mean i remember one time i was doing a culture mapping exercise with a company and uh, talking to the finance team and they're saying well yeah we we don't trust our our manager we don't trust this chief financial officer. Oh, why don't you trust the chief financial officer? And they said, well, he came to us and he said, we couldn't have raises because there was no money in the budget. But we know that he gets his bonus based on uh, keeping costs down. Hmm. So, um, of course, there's no money. No, no raises for us means more money for him. Ah, uh, yeah. So, uh, why should we trust him when he says that there's no money? Yeah, that's these these. I think there's still a lot of a lot of these kind of uh, office politics or games happening when people put, of course, their own, um, you know, their personal gains before before perhaps even the the well-being of the company. And and I think that's also when people then just move. You see people moving from one job to the other. Well, it's not just uh, it's not just people who are putting their personal gain in front of uh, what's good for the company. It's the companies themselves that are doing it. And we, you know, we, we set up the systems that reward that kind of behavior. 
And that's why the reason I started working on culture as a, on mapping culture was because I realized that what many people were calling culture problems and resistance to change uh, were actually things that were designed in at a very basic level, like, uh, you know, the way the teams were structured and the way that the work was organized and the way that the incentive and reward systems were designed. And without putting that stuff on the table, that no change was likely. And so uh, the culture map as a tool is designed to uh, help people uh, have those discussions. It's just a pencil and paper tool, but it's a tool that, pencil and paper tool to help people have those discussions about what is it that you know we're trying to do and what are we doing as an organization that's getting in our own way because there's as you say the complexity of it is that most organizations are doing just as much to get in their own way as they are doing to get out of their way so they can actually get the work done yeah totally so before we go to our next uh, our last question um, can I maybe just ask you to remind our listeners of your website or your Twitter handle and when, where can people get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. Uh, my company's called Explain. It's X-P-L-A-N-E dot com. Uh, and my website is just explain or explain with an R on the end, X-P-L-A-N-E-R dot com. And uh, I'm on Twitter as Dave Gray, D-A-V-E-G-R-A-Y. We'll put these also into the show notes so people will be able to find you. So now coming to our last question, this question that we always ask to all of our guests on the Work Life Podcast. If I could ask you, Dave, to give one advice to a CEO to start, um, let's say once they have identified that there is a problem and to start a change process and they would do this through culture change, what would that advice be? I would say um, focus focus more of your attention on asking the right questions instead of trying to find the answers. Uh, the answers are already there inside the company, and uh, you think of your job as to improve the company's ability to listen to itself and to learn and to grow. You are not there to necessarily direct people, supervise people, supervise their activity, you are there to listen both to customers and to the company and try and listen for what is this organization trying to become. Because every organization has already got the seeds of the next generation inside of it. It's already working to try and become that next thing. Uh, your job is to help it come into being. Your job is to uh, be the catalyst to to, uh, to help that organization find its next best uh, thing. This is awesome. This is fantastic advice. Thank you so much, Dave, for coming on our podcast. It was really, really interesting and informative talking to you. Great. Thanks for having me.